Kieran. I'm Hannah. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Kieran. Hey, Hannah. How's school going? It's going. I'm avoiding a lot of it right now. I'm avoiding writing an essay that I need to write for Wednesday and also uh-huh. avoiding reading a bunch of motors and drives homework. I have not a lot of homework to do this weekend, but I need to organize myself. I need to like make out a schedule with all my assignments and like put them in the same place. And I haven't done that yet because I'm still kind of in denial that I'm back in school. That's legit. I'm like trying to organize myself and figure out how to do that this semester because, I don't know, it's been trial and error trying to figure out how I'm going to organize homework and when that's due Mm -hmm. and, and studying and all that. So this year I have binders instead of notebooks and dividers and I'm going between writing when things are due and using an app on my phone. Yeah. Having a binder for each subject or like a folder for each subject so you can like put all the handouts in one place is really, really useful. Yeah. What I want to do is get one of those folders that has the little prongs and like stick all of my syllabi in there. So I have mm-hmm. one place to go to for my syllabi and I'm like, okay, I know this is what's coming next. Make a One of my of classmates it. has one of those accordion binders or folders. Um, and that's I think probably the route I'm going to go this semester. Seems like the smartest thing. That makes sense. So what are we talking about this week? Well, uh, I feel like we promised our fans an episode on courtship. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> we seem so ready for this. We're like, yeah, no, this is fine. Courtship may be like the single most. I mean, like it's what got us both out. Was, it is. Like, how badly both of our courtships went. That's, like, yep. why we left. Yeah. Yeah, this um, is true. But that's a long story, so let's just keep it on, like, explaining what courtship is for today, because I think... This could be a book. I, this, yeah, this is, this is, this could be a book, and uh, I don't want Josh Harris to profit from this. Yeah, it's fair. These stories, we do not consent to these stories to be used in any documentaries about courtship. Yes, thank you. Unless we are producing them. Yeah. No stealing of this, thank you. Um, mm. So what is courtship? Well, I feel like it's it's hard to talk about courtship without talking about the revisionist history that was really common in um, our world. You know, you had, like, this idea of the Victorian era being, like, this moral high point of humanity's history and there's this this kind of yearning to go back to it um which is funny because you know that's when like prostitution was rampant and wages were really bad and um colonialism were ha- was like you know committing genocide everywhere and it wasn't documented and children were basically wage slaves and 
you know, died all the time. The good days when it was pure and holy and and women couldn't vote and children had no rights and men ruled everything and there was no question about it. White men ruled everything. There was no question about it. Like, did, were your parents kind of into that, that whole thing? Yeah, so my parents were actually kind of a step further and and before they heard about courtship and even after they heard about courtship what they really wanted was betrothal which so, is like okay. complete this with, is a different thing complete with dowries and courtship was like the like my parents going left ah uh, yeah i i understand that did you have a hope chest i did i did have a hope chest actually <laughs> so what's a hope chest a hope chest is not something that you put all of your hopes and dreams into um it's no it well i mean it, it, it is, is. <laughs> but it wasn't for me because that, those were not my hopes and dreams um oh. i know they, they, it was a one size fits all hopes and dreams uh, yeah yeah you're supposed to put in like the things that you'll need for your future household because this came from like the time in like when you had to prepare for that because it was pioneering days and there were dowries and like you would be paid to be married. Like you wouldn't be paid, obviously, but your parents would pay like your spouse to marry you because to I mean, you were just you a woman. Their so, hands. Yeah. One less mouth to feed. Yay. Right. And so I remember reading um, like the descriptions of Laura Ingalls Wilder's like Hey, she she didn't have a hope chest specifically, but she had a dowry that she had put together with all of the like tea towels and quilts and dresses and like pieces mm -hmm. of like houseware that she had collected, like in anticipation of having her own home and husband one day. And that was kind of, I mean, like the American Girl dolls, like even got into it a little yeah. bit. Kirsten, yep, Kirsten, Kirsten had did. a hope chest. Um. I feel like Samantha or Felicity also did, or were going to. Yeah, I had a, um, I had a chest that I kept my art supplies in, um, but it wasn't a hope a hope chest, and I would ask for one because I, I, I still think a, a wooden chest is a gorgeous thing to have. But yeah. For like storing blankets, at the yes. end. Yeah, I actually so my chest was like a solid like walnut. Or something like that um, mm. maybe it was cherry um and before i started courting i did use it for art supplies and that was where all my art supplies lived and it was great i loved it it was awesome it smelled good it was just this beautiful chest and then mm -hmm. uh i started courting and my mom was like well now you need a hope chest and i was like i have no way to like resist this now um so i like had to go along with it and so a hope chest is where you get everything that you'll need to start your life as a married person. So my mom took me to the bank to turn in like some bonds that like my great grandparents had given me or whatever when I was born mm -hmm. um, that she had been holding on to. And I had like a thousand dollars in cash then. So uh, I opened up my mom like opened up a bank account for me so I didn't like have to carry all of that in dollar monies. Um, was that your dowry? That was basically, it basically became like my hope chest fund. And so then we immediately went to like the like pots and pan supply store and I got a bunch, like I got an entire set of dishes and cookware. I got 
Like, uh, I basically stocked an entire apartment in this chest. What happened to it? Um, I gave it away because when I was leaving, I wasn't going to be able to take this hope chest with me because like that's... Because you were running away. Right. It's not really, hey, dad, can you drop me off at the mall with my bag and this giant ass fucking hope chest? We'll just edit (laughs) all of that out. Um, right. Yeah. So I can't take the hope chest with me. So what happened was um, someone had gone to our church and they were like, they had been displaced from Katrina, I think, because uh, uh, this was in 2008. So you were able to pawn it off as like being charitable. Yeah. And so they had like gone like through whatever it was and wound up at our church at the right time. And I was like, I need to get rid of this. And someone mm-hmm. was like, yeah, we just moved here. We are literally sleeping like on our floor. We have nothing. And I was like, well, I don't have any furniture, but I have everything else that you need. Please take it. <laughs> uh, nice. And so everyone was like, wow, that's so generous of you. And I was like, not really. I just need to get rid of this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we didn't have it partially because we were just too poor. And my mom was like, well, that's what like your bridal shower is going to be for. We have modern ways of accomplishing this. Um, We never subscribed to betrothal. That was never on the table. Thank God. Um, Or the powers that be or, you know, lucky stars, whatever. I was so grateful that we didn't ever consider betrothal and I remember reading like the story of um Maranatha and her yeah her betrothal story and being horrified even when I was still in that world I thought it was like a really marvelous story but I was horrified that anyone would actually do that to someone yeah yeah this is why I was always really anxious when my parents talked me up to other homeschool moms because my parents really wanted to be the ones who chose well it wasn't even my parents it was my mom my mom really wanted it tell us what your parents believed betrothal was and why it was a good idea yeah so my parents it's kind of it's kind of an arranged marriage basically it is it is an arranged marriage which is hilarious because my parents were like well we don't believe in arranged marriages but they wanted betrothal what did I, they see as the difference? I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think I think in their minds, if it was a betrothal, it was like my parents arranged everything with their parents, but if we didn't like each other, then we could call it off. So there was like so a small element of choice. A veto power vote right. of some kind? Yeah. Yeah, so it was like, if, if we obviously weren't going to get along, then I could say no or whatever, but they wanted to be the ones, or my mom really wanted to be the one who, like, chose who I was going to marry, and then, like, after my parents broke my partner and I up, uh, my mom started trying to set me up with boys from our home church, who I despised, or that's not really fair. I didn't despise them. They were <laughs> they were nice. They were fine, but we didn't get they along. We had nothing anybody in you were in love with. I didn't. They couldn't even talk to me. Like they didn't know how to talk to a girl who wasn't very good at being a girl. <laughs> so like, there just was nothing. There was nothing there. I, I there was no no nothing in common. But my mom tried really hard. 
Okay, so in their perfect world, they would like talk to the the boy's parents and set it up. Would there be money exchanged? I don't know. I don't know if there would be money. Um, I don't okay. think they ever really planned that far. They just really liked the idea, and then then they read about courtship, uh, and they heard about Josh Harris, and and I think they liked that more because like there were more rules for them, and then there was more like. Like, I think they saw it as them having more power somehow, but it was Hmm. also a bit looser because it was like, well, the person who was interested would come to my father and then ask my father for permission. So it was like, less work on their part. Yeah, I was going to say less work on your parents' part. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. How many how many pieces of our life revolved around that fact? Like, what is less work for our parents in terms of parenting? I mean, I feel like that's why my mom had so many kids, because she could just pawn it off to me. So it didn't matter. Okay, so as far as I know, courtship um, and betrothal kind of came into popularity at around the same time. I'm not entirely sure where betrothal came from besides the, like, like, bad understanding of how history worked and a romanticization of those kinds of traditions. Um, courtship also comes from that that kind of misunderstanding of how uh, biblical culture operated and how Victorian society operated and like what um, actually like is a moral high, high ground um, for how societies operate. But um, I think Bill Gothard really kind of like spearheaded courtship because he he started teaching in like the end of the 50s, right? Like early 60s. Like he, he came a good bit before. Yeah, he was before. Um, all, anything. And he was teaching courtship um, pretty similarly to how Josh Harris taught it. Um, with a lot of the same principles um, based on, like, parental authority and abstinence and, um, like, the idea that marriage exists for sex and babies and sex and babies are are, are linked. linked. They cannot be separated. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bastardization of, of Catholic theology of the body. Like, the evangelicals co-opted pieces of it because it was convenient. And, um, and turned it into or extrapolated from there um, and kind of idealized how like relationships would work. And I think a part of it was, you know, kind of a reaction to um, you had women being more liberated after World War Two because they had to fend for themselves and they held down jobs and they were going to college and uh, they just like social norms were changing in various ways. And so, you know, they were like mortified that everybody was being slutty basically and wanted to tamp it down. Um, Which is funny because if you actually understand history, you know that humans have been slutty forever. Forever. It is not new. Just like how open we are about it. Yep. Um, So, but Bill Gothard, the reason he's important to this is he, one of his disciples was Greg Harris, who is um, one of the pioneers of homeschooling uh, and the father of Josh Harris. 
And so Josh grew up traveling to all these homeschool conventions and conferences and like uh, family seminars with his dad and sat under Bill Gothard's teaching for a lot of his childhood. So when he writes I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which is kind of heralded as like the founding of the courtship movement in America, um, he's he's ripping off Gothard's teaching and he's just um he's just putting a cute sticker on it yeah he's packaging it with like now it's coming from like your young sexy like Asian American dude with a cool hat yes (laughs) yeah it's just the same stuff that was repackaged and it took off because and the other thing too is the way uh he framed it is he was writing it like at the time that he was going through it so it was written from a very kind of in the trenches thing which resonated with people right. more than like Bill Gothard's lack of experience because he's never been married to my knowledge. He has no experience with anything that he's teaching. Bill Gothard has only been a serial sexual predator. He has not actually had a real relationship. Yep. Um, I would go so far as to say he's a pedophile, but oh, that's a whole other story. But yeah. Yeah. So Josh Harris, however, um, Josh Harris had participated in, like, speech and debate. Um, He was a good communicator. He, and he had watched his dad be this, like, super gregarious, um, charismatic, like, thought leader in the homeschool movement. So he was really primed to um, kind of take the mantle. Um, And, like, I've I've met him. He, He taught in our church. And in churches I went to and at conferences I attended and I've, I've interacted with him in various degrees. And he's just a really um, charming person. He's very um, disarming and he's sweet and he's a good listener. And so he was able to communicate all of these things in his book. So what did what did this book say? Um, well, I Kissed Dating Goodbye was before he'd started courting and around the time he was like well dating isn't where it's at we should do something else instead and it emphasized a lot of like it really kind of introduced and reinforced purity culture which is something that we talk about a lot um mm-hmm. which is just like thinking about anything remotely sexual is bad and impure and then you're ruined for life and everything is obviously on uh the girl because if she didn't exist in a human form then men wouldn't have trouble so right so it's it's basically patholo- pathologizing lust um and sexuality to a degree that makes any kind of natural um, interest or arousal problematic and creates a really toxic shame cycle where you um, you hate yourself you do for having sexual desires you hate yourself for wanting attention you hate yourself for um, thinking about sex or observing yourself going through puberty and thinking about the consequences of that it really really cuts to the core of your being it's a huge part of why I didn't learn about my period or anything that had to do with like 
reproducing and sexuality and like just like basic biology is because I was like anything to do with sex is impure and will damage me for life. It's also why I didn't like I just shut down. So I didn't have crushes. I didn't I didn't allow myself a crush. There was also this part where like the idea was everything, everything about courtship and purity culture is based on the slippery slope fallacy, Mm -hmm. which is like once you start moving in a certain direction, the momentum is going to overtake you and you won't be able to stop which is absolutely false. Um, But the idea was that if you were aware of how sex worked, if you were aware of how um, human reproduction worked, if you were aware of, um, if you were educated about STDs and um, your own sexual health and your own sexual desires, you were going to be more likely to have premarital sex. Yep. So, and you see this, you see this in abstinence only sex ed. Um, that's like everywhere that George Bush, uh, junior (laughs) George W, um, had influence on like abstinence only sex education, um, for initiatives in, um, countries that have high rates of HIV. Um, and in the American school system, it's, it's rampant and it's based on this false idea that, if you don't teach them about sex, then they won't do it. They won't. Yeah. They won't have sex. But the the statistics show that actually they're just going to have sex and they're going to have unprotected sex and they're going to um, get STDs and they're going to get pregnant and um, lives are going to be derailed by their ignorance. Yep. Yep. Yeah. My parents really like. They kept telling me sex is so easy. Like everybody just has it. It's like it's it's such an easy thing to do. And then I got married and it turns out sex is actually really difficult when you don't know what what you're doing. It's like if you don't know how bodies work, if you don't know how any of that happens, sex is really hard. My ex-husband and I spent our entire honeymoon like wondering if we should be calling the gynecologist to make sure that like what was happening was normal or okay and like freaking out that we were doing something wrong yeah like it was painful i didn't know that there were conditions that you could have that make penetration really painful and like that's something that i could have found out if i'd known anything about my body right um so josh harris like wrote this book where he was like So I had a dating relationship in high school and we were super sneaky about it and we like hurt each other and broke each other's hearts and then I repented and went to my parents and asked for advice and like this is what we ended up doing instead. Yep. And like this is how you like keep your heart from being broken. That was like kind of the the biggest goal was like how to keep your heart from being broken. And also that if your heart was ever broken that irreparably damaged you. Like because your heart was like they had a scarcity approach to love so it's like your heart is something that like if you lose you lose forever and you lose pieces of and then you don't have a whole heart and whoever loves you doesn't have your whole heart like that's a bad thing but also like love isn't scarce it grows like it doesn't work that way (laughs) i know it's it's so funny because like 
These are people who um, think that they can just keep having kids and they're going to have infinite love for all of those children. Um, but, that, but they can't see how that might translate to other kinds of love. Right. It's ridiculous. Um, full disclosure here, guys. Um, both Kieran and I, since leaving fundamentalism, have been um, practicing ethical polyamory for a long ass time. A long so, time. Um, we're coming from a very certain bent where we assume that monogamy is uh, cultural bullshit. Yes. Basically. And, like, polyamory isn't for everybody, obviously. No. But operating from a stance of, like, love is something scarce and that I should, like, must hold on to and only give to one special person is ridiculous to me. Yeah, it, it was kind of treated like this, like a fine wine where you would, like, bottle it up and it would age and get better. And... And then you'd give it to the one person and you would use it up and it, that would be and that's it. it. And it would be gone. Um, did you write letters to your future husband? Uh, I like tried, but I hated it. So <laughs> I didn't. Same. I, I did make a couple of them, but it was just like, this is not, I can be writing better things. It was encouraged as a placebo, um, like treatment to keep you from having crushes. It was like, okay, so if we if we distract by um, allowing our young teens to channel their romantic and sexual energy into writing letters to their future spouse to give to mm -hmm. their future spouse on their wedding day, then maybe they will not be distracted by like actual people in real life. And if you isolate them so they don't see actual people in real life, it, you know. Yeah, how are we supposed why. to meet anybody? <laughs> Oh, See, right. This is my question. Yeah. Yeah. My parents were supposed to find that for me. I had a really good friend. Um, it was my pretty much my only guy friend um, during my adolescence was this kid who um, I met when I was 12 and we were really good friends for about a year and a half. And then he moved away. And then I the twins were born and I was isolated and we didn't I didn't really have any friend guy friends at church. And I continued to not until college. But um, I remember just like really enjoying his company and really being excited to hang out with him. And my mom like pulled me aside and was like, do you have a crush on this guy? Like, you need to be careful and guard your heart. You can't be too excited when he comes over. Like, you know, like we were just like building forts in the woods and playing in the creek. Like, yeah, we were not. Yeah. Like, we were just becoming sexually aware, but, like, neither of us was interested in that. We just wanted to, like, run in the woods and talk about, like, you know, missionary stories, crazy pioneer yeah. stories. Like, we didn't have any self-awareness of that kind. Um, and as soon as it got turned into that by, I'm assuming, like, he probably had a similar conversation with his mom, too, because later we visited them and he was, like, super excited about something and, like, was like oh my god I'm so excited like oh, oh my gosh probably he didn't say oh my god he was a good kid yeah, um, yeah. he was like oh my gosh I'm so excited if you weren't a girl I'd hug you right now and I just remember being so oh. angry I was like what happened like yeah like I don't know that we're friends anymore like what's wrong with like yeah. giving your friend a hug like there's nothing there doesn't have to be anything sexual about that and I was just I was crushed and 
And that's the kind of thing that like happens in this world is like, yeah, any touch of any kind is super sexualized. My partner and I took a picture at Team Pack Camp where we were back to back together doing like the revolution. Oh my God, I remember this. And that was scandalous. Yeah, you guys were like, like our shoulders were touching, our butts almost touched. <laughs> oh, I remember. And don't don't remember. you dare give anyone a front hug if you have boobs, because like your boobs will squish, we had and that whole, will lead to impure thoughts. We had a, our our youth group met month, once a month, and I was able to go to that because parents were required to go. Um, and I remember they had this whole demonstration where a brother and a sister like were showing you like appropriate and inappropriate hugs for people of our age and was like demonstrating the side hug and then the front hug and it was like really uncomfortable because there was this guy up at the front giving his younger his older sister a front hug and sexualizing that experience as like a like don't do this guys like this is too sexy with his sister and this is the thing it's like everything became hypersexual like because everything because it was such a scarcity mindset fear-based thing um you know this fear of the unknown just like snowballs and this fear of yourself just snowballs i mean they make the slippery slope yeah it doesn't exist until they make it basically i thought i was a sex addict in high school because i liked to masturbate fairly regularly oh my god i was horrified at myself for masturbating i was so angry that the church had a conference for men about um lust and sexual purity and didn't have any sort of corresponding conference for women because i was like but i need to be attending this i wish i could sneak in yeah well i mean women aren't supposed to have a sex drive at all or feel anything or or anything like that yeah so that was the other thing have any of those needs i didn't realize that any of my other any of my friends had anything like that i thought i was an anomaly and that's again why i thought it was such a problem i'm yeah um when my ex-husband and i were courting um or, or like one of our first conversations like once we made it official i was like we need to put like really firm boundaries in place because I'm scared of myself. Like I do not, and I was literally like terrified. I was super excited to finally be courting someone because I really liked him, but I was also really scared because I really liked him and I didn't trust myself. And I thought like the instant like we touched, I was gonna like explode and like it was gonna be the end suddenly of the world. Babies suddenly, yeah. suddenly, like spontaneous. Sex implosions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I legit thought until I was about 16 when my mom decided to explain how sex worked that, like, basically what happened is there was just like this, like, transit tube from like one person's belly button to the other person's belly button. And oh, that's no. how, like, it happened. And so, like, I didn't know, like, how that worked so any like it made sense that like hugging was a bad idea because like it's obviously just communicated through air um i had a a homeschool family friend who was like probably like 10 or 11 and was like i'm gonna get pregnant and i was like why and she was like i'll i 
I just learned how babies happen. And I was like, okay. And she was like, and I realized like last year, I like took a nap in the same bed as this other guy who's our friend. And so that means we slept together. And so I'm, oh I'm going to get pregnant. <laughs> oh God. And I was just like, oh, no, that, that that's no. not how it works. But that kind no. of misconception was really common. Yep. Well, because like, obviously the best way to teach kids is to leave them in ignorance for their life. So mm-hmm. it's the only way to stay out of trouble. So um, the whole idea of I kissed dating goodbye was like, wait, abstain. You are not ready to get married. Um, what were the things that they thought made someone ready to get married? I, we have different experiences on this point. So for me, my parents basically thought I was ready to get married when I was 12 and was capable of having children because I had a period uh, mm-hmm. and, and running the house and doing the budget and all of that. And I like, you know, didn't have any friends that I wanted to go run and play with because I didn't have any friends. So I was very mature um, mm-hmm. and, and responsible. So like that, like I was, I was pretty much ready to go in their eyes as soon as I could, as soon as I was bleeding. Um, but for someone to marry me, uh, my parents wanted them to have a job and a car and be able to support like me not working because it would be bad for me to work and that would ruin our marriage um, inevitably. How? Um, because if if a woman is outside the home where there's other men who aren't her husband, like who knows um some of this also comes from i think uh my mom had an affair when i was young so i think a lot of like that fear stems from that as well as the bible verse where a woman's place is like like in in the the home home raising kids the proverbs 31 woman thing god i i heard something the other day where somebody was like yeah that bible verse is about like a woman running like everything while her man's at war like it's not supposed to be like a daily life model i don't know right ah oh, man that 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 chapter... it's like that doesn't seem like something anyone can do no. all of the time God. it's it's abusive and ridiculous and it's absurd that we're glorifying that it's inhumane um so my family thought that i again like the whole like once you're able to reproduce and run a household like 12 or 13, that's about, that's about when you should be able to do both of those things. But, um, I think that my parents, thankfully, because they had a, a, had liberal arts degrees, um, education, um, and grew up in the Bay area. Like they both assumed that I was going to go to college. Um, and and this is like I really uncommon um, in our communities. Like the assumption that your your daughter is going to go to college was very rare. But I was raised with yeah. that assumption, and I think part of it was that my my grandmother had been a public school educator, um, and both of my grandparents on my dad's side had um, post baccalaureate degrees, um, and so they believed that uh they had something to prove to those grandparents about like 
why like that homeschooling worked and so sending me to college was a way of like justifying their decisions to homeschool and be like look she can go to college we did just fine um so the idea was that i needed to finish my degree before i could get married and that whoever i was going to marry needed to yeah have a job a car be financially stable um and and my father believed that being financially stable meant you didn't have any student loans um because he was of the debt is sinful and uh yep. slavery school of thought which is uh not realistic and incredibly privileged in our day and age yep um that threw a wrench into things later um because <laughs> my ex-husband did have student loans and that was what my father used to try to break us up for a while um but they also would believe that we should be able to like get married immediately as soon as we start courting so the whole idea was like yep. don't don't play with fire don't like don't open this door until you're willing and ready to commit to something so most of the couples in our our community who were getting married through courtship were they were probably they'd start courting and then like two or three months later they'd be engaged and then yep. the engagement would last as long as it took a pl- to plan a, a quick wedding it wasn't and none of these were shotgun weddings these were just like yeah we're not having Fast. sex and we really want to have sex so let's get married asap yeah my parents were uh similar with that too they really as soon as we started courting they really wanted me us to get married like immediately they were really angry that i wasn't engaged three months later but i was didn't they hold you responsible for that yeah they did so they gave us an ultimatum that was basically get engaged or break up Mm -hmm. and i was 17 and neither of us wanted to be married while i was still a minor um and so they blamed they blamed me for that because they they told me that i had to be the one um to end it because they couldn't control my ex because my ex was dude so obviously uh i'm the one they can control so uh when i was like no, I don't feel like God is telling us to break up. They were like, well, then you can't talk to each other and mm. broke us up instead. Yeah. So my, because my dad's authority superseded mine. So my my father, like, I, I was crushing on this guy. My father met him. My father was, like, not impressed with him. They were like, he's, like, he's a, he's a big extrovert and monologuing was common he's also autistic and these are these are pretty normal um normal things for someone who's neurodivergent and um my father is a big introvert and really got rubbed the wrong way by this guy and was just like he didn't ask me a single personal question about myself like clearly like he's a self-absorbed person like with bad character why are you interested in him and I was like, because I like him, like, it's that simple. Um, so we were told, like, to hold off for six months um, while they corresponded. And my father, like, evaluated his character and gave him, like, homework of things to work on. I don't even remember what exactly oh the, the things were. But um, we had this whole rule where my father 
for reasons that are beyond me. I'm guessing it was due to personal experience and personal failure, but he had this rule where no engagement of any of his children was going to be longer than six months because that was the point where temptation would be too great and you would slip up and have sex. And um, so when after we'd been courting and were ready to get engaged, um, my ex had graduated before I did um, a year ahead of me and he wanted to come back for homecoming and propose then. And so he asked for my hand in marriage. My father was like, yes, but when are you planning on proposing? And he was like, I want to propose at homecoming in October. And I get this call and he's like so angry at your, at my dad. And he's like, I can't believe he did this. He said, I cannot propose to you at homecoming. And I wasn't going to tell you I was going to do this, but I have to talk to you about this because I don't know what else to do, but I was going to propose at homecoming. And he says, I can't because we would have to get, if we were getting married at the end of school, it would be in May, which would be seven months out. And that would be more than six. And you can't apparently, oh my God. like he was, my father was like to the letter, like very strict about this, like six month engagement rule. And so that's why we got married in January. Cause I was like, well, I can leave, I can graduate early. Like I have the credits. So, mm-hmm. um, so we just were like, okay, cool. We won't have an engagement. That's, longer than six months, we'll just get married faster. And my father yep. was not happy because we basically played his own game by his own rules and beat him. Yep. 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 So, uh, how did how did the rest <laughs> of your uh, courtship go? Oh, I mean, well, for three months, to my parents' knowledge, we didn't talk. Um, or not three months, six months. It happened in the summer. Um, and then I ran away and we were obviously still talking, but I Mm. know how to clear my browser history. Mm. It's a good (laughs) tip. If you need to communicate with people, just clear your browser history. Always, uh, change your password. Oh my God. My, so my parents, uh, after they broke us up, um, demanded that they see what I was doing on my computer and like were over my neck all the time to make sure. Yeah, I I remember you basically disappeared. Yeah, yeah, they just like, I had no privacy for like three months because they were just on my case. And I just like, I had a laptop because my grandparents had given me one for my graduation because Mm. I graduated when I was 15. Um, so they just like monitored everything. And one day my mom was like, hey, bring up your computer. I want to look something up, but I don't want to move mm. because she was pregnant. So I brought up my laptop and I had decided to put a pass lock on it so I would know if someone had been snooping um, while I wasn't around and also to keep people out. Uh, and I brought it up and my mom was livid that I put a password on it. And mm-hmm. I typed in the password and I was like, this is just like a thing it made me do for security reasons when I was <laughs> setting it up. I don't know. Uh, and she bought it because oh my God. she doesn't know. Um, <laughs> so I did that. And then I, I also obviously cleared all of my history and caches before bringing it up. But like they lost, they lost it over like changing my password to my computer and I also changed my password to all of my email accounts. Um, that way they didn't have it. 
Good. And also set up an alternate email account that they didn't know about and an alternate AIM account that they didn't know about. And we set up a Google Voice number that was a mutual friend of under a mutual friend of ours name. So I could be like, I was talking to like Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So I did that. um, And then I ran away on my 18th birthday and we were engaged. We got engaged. I, I stayed like between my ex's place and their pastor's place. Or my ex's parents' place and their pastor's place because they were still living at home. Mm-hmm. Um, for while I was there, uh, and I basically just like slept for the first month and a half because that's what happens when you escape those environments. Is yeah. your body just collapses? Doesn't. Uh, yeah. Um, and I felt really guilty about being asleep so much, but also like I couldn't not be asleep. But everyone was understanding about it. Um. Did you guys um, adhere to, like, the purity culture teachings during that period, or did you start, like, having sex right away? Well, so, (laughs) kind of both. (laughs) Um, We, we, you know, in the six months between actually courting, we uh, taught ourselves sex ed, and I discovered scarletine and read about birth control oh and God, all the things. Scarletine, I forgot about that. And there was, a, there was another website so called the, the the Marriage Bed that was also like pretty educational. Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly enough, um, and and so I found those websites and I learned about birth control and I learned about being safe and I learned about like how sex worked and all that. Um, and Lacey Green back before she got red pilled. Yeah, yeah. Lacey Green before. That was great. Yeah, before she um, stopped being great, before she started being transphobic and horrible. I actually went up in November to campaign for a friend of mine in New Hampshire, and my ex came down to the airport, and we made out for real. Uh, <laughs> before that, we'd been doing like this thing where like we like we called it corner kissing because it was like just like the corners of your lips touching oh each God. other. Because oh it wasn't God. actually kissing, so it wasn't breaking any rules. So these are the extremes that you no, go to. I am very familiar with how how many ways you can get around all of the rules. Yeah, so that happened. And then while I was, um, like, we would obviously make out after I moved up there and and things. And, like, we fooled around a bit without getting caught magically. Um, I think my in-laws, ex-in-laws still think or did, uh, (laughs) that we were pure until marriage. Uh, and I mean, technically it's true, but, (laughs) 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 but my, my ex-mother-in-law was excited. The only kind of sex you recognize. Yeah, exactly. Then, you know, yeah. And if, if that's the case, then I was a virgin for an extremely long time. (laughs) Um, yeah, but I think my ex-mother-in-law, uh, thought that our first actual kiss was on our wedding day and our first kiss, like our, our wedding kiss was, was, was great. It was real good. Um, (laughs) and yeah, yeah. And, and I, I heard, I heard her like talking about like, oh yeah, no, that was like their first kiss. We're going to let her believe that. You're just gonna not. No, we're just gonna (laughs) stay with that. And my my ex sister in law like kind of looked at us knowingly, and we're just like, no one is gonna burst that bubble. 
Mm-mm. We're not. We're not gonna Mm-mm. pop that. It's fine. Um, I have a really good first kiss story and the drama that ensued around it. Um, but we'll have to save that for the after dark episode. Yes. So if you are subscribed to the Patreon level where you get the after dark episodes, um, check it out. Yes. I feel like that is a pretty all right description of courtship. It's a good good intro. (laughs) Oh my God. It's so bad. But I had a, my engagement was six weeks because we got engaged in April and married at the end of May. Right. So and Katie was, very Katie was at your wedding. Yeah. All right. Well, next time we'll talk about educational neglect. Yeah, I'll have written an essay on the topic, so that's going to be fantastic. That'll be it'll be great. All right. <laughs> Stay tuned. Subscribe to our Patreon. Thanks to Aaron for fixing our audio every time and saving us and uh send us your questions. We've got a few um I mean, I think we'll answer them in our next episode. See you next week. Bye.